Hi, I'm Karen Cohen from Trinity Lutheran Church in Centerbrook, Connecticut, and you are listening to Two Bald Pastors broadcast, connecting real faith with real life. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Welcome, Joe. How are you today? I am very good. How are you, Jeff? I am also doing quite well. It is time to reflect a little bit about our last conversation uh, we had with Brian Scott. Yep, a good friend of mine, and uh, we've known each other, well, close to 20 years. Uh, good guy, and now writer, was was pastoring for a while, and now is uh, writing books. Not only that, but it sounds like he's getting into helping other writers as well, which is an exciting thing, and something I think that uh, a lot of people might be connected with, because I think we all have a book in, inside of us. Absolutely. I know. I, I keep coming up with ideas, but I, I never get past quite the thesis. Right. It's taking that time to sit down and actually do the work, not just, uh, oh, I have this idea, and it'll come out of thin air. Right. What about a book like this? Yeah, that's about as far as I've gotten so far. But right, right. Someday. Anyway, his, uh, his book is a novel. It's uh, fiction. It's set in kind of uh, an end times uh, kind of construct. And uh, something I thought we could talk a little bit about today, Joe, was just kind of, what is that about? Um, it's not something that's uh, native to our tradition within the framework of our Christian expression of faith in the Lutheran Church, uh, to have kind of this whole end times motif. Uh, so I thought maybe we could just kind of look at ways that people read the Bible, how do we read the Bible, and how could we maybe navigate some of that stuff? That sounds great. It, it is uh, an overwhelming thing, I think, to just sit down, especially if you don't really have much biblical background or if you're not engaged in a Bible study, to, to sit down and, and open the Bible. First, you know, where do you start when you read the Bible? Should you start with the Old Testament and work your way through the New Testament? Uh, are there are particular passages that we should start with or you know, it can be very overwhelming things. So what do you think? What, when you sit down to... to read a Bible passage or sit down with a daily devotional type thing? How, how do you approach the Bible? Uh, there's, a, there's a few ways, but I, I think it's worth just saying to start with, the Bible is not a cohesive whole. It's, it's a collection of writings that took millennia to compose. It's people's theological reflections on what's happening around them. I mean, I would say that are the texts inspired by God? I, I would say they are. Um, I would also say they are also faithful expressions of the people that put them together. You know, we were just talking about writing a book and I've got a thesis. I mean, someone didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write the Bible and then right. compose this document. Nor do I think the book fell out of the sky, uh, as a lot of people, I think, read the Bible that way, just in a very, very literal sense. You know, every word is, is what it is. I mean, it, it uses languages that we don't speak today, um, so everything is a translation. You know, even idioms and little expressions we just don't pick up on because we're not native to that world or the, the culture of those times. Um, you know, some things you read in the Bible are, are downright scary and abhorrent to us, uh, but they reflect the culture in which they were written. 
and usually, I would say, push things forward in a more positive direction. But uh, having said all that, for me, I would say, um, especially as a, as a Lutheran Christian, I think Jesus is the center of the Scripture. When you read the Bible, you should have Jesus in mind. One of Luther's pieces, I think it's in his preface to the New Testament, he has this quote where it's like, the, the Bible's like the manger where Jesus is laid. So the, yeah. the Bible isn't the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Uh, but you need the manger to have Christmas, right? So you need you need the words of Scripture to have the story. So I start there. So when people have not read the Bible before or are intimidated by it or don't know where to start, usually what I do is I point them to the stories of Jesus first. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, let's start there. Um, is that the whole of Scripture? Absolutely not. Is there thousands of years of reflection prior to that? Absolutely. Is there some thought after Jesus? Yes. And we continue in that pattern in the life of the church today as well, I would say. But I don't know. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I think— that, that makes sense. And, and I think Martin Luther also said at one point, the Bible is the cradle where Christ is laid. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, so the Bible is, for us, you know, any other scripture that we read, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, one of the epistles for, that Paul writes or whatever, leads us back to Christ and leads us back to— looking at those passages through the through the eyes of Christ, through the eyes of what, what Jesus says and, and how the impact uh, on Jesus' message to the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, uh, you know, some people look at the Bible as, as one big rule book or something, you know, kind of a, a user manual or something like that. But even when Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important thing, he, he his answer was basically love God and love your neighbor. So right. I, I, I think the the Bible as a whole points us in those two directions, uh, to love God and see God in the world, uh, not as some distant part of the past, but here currently with us, and to to see our mission, if, if you want to use those words in life, is to, to care for others. I mean, it doesn't have to be so hard, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> but it is. It's so intimidating. You think, it is oh intimidating. Gosh, how am I yeah. even going to start and... You know, the people that say, I'll read it cover to cover, get start reading Genesis, and by the time you get to any kind of genealogies, you're just like, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? <laughs> All um, right, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, and I feel that way sometimes. So, you know, I've, and I and we do this for a living, so I right. figure if we're there, a lot of other people are too. So, And I, I was telling my confirmation kids last night, I don't remember where I heard this or who said this, but the Bible, it's a love letter to us from God. You know, it is the message that God wants to give to us to say, this is how much I love you, and this is how much I care for you. It's not a, a historical document where we take every verse literally. Um, right. It is a living document that moves in our lives. And, and every time we read a text, every time we read a piece of scripture, it may mean something to us today, and we may have some sort of insight today, but in a year from now, it could be, mean something completely different. Right. It depended depending on where we are in our life and the experiences that we have, and and it's just amazing to me how much influence that it continues to have in in our lives and meaning and purpose for us. Yeah, I think it's important to lift up that, as you just did, that it it's a living document that, um, you know, the the Bible, the words of Scripture actually do something. Yes. You know, there's that passage from Hebrews, you know, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, in our tradition, we have these categories we call law and gospel, so that the, that does kind of divide the way Scripture does things. Um, it, it 
calls to an end that which needs to be called to an end, and it calls to life that which is dead. Uh, and the, you can talk about that in a variety of ways. But the best example I always have of that is when you say somebody, I love you, you can hear that in a couple of ways. You can say, I love you to somebody, and they can receive that as, oh my gosh, I do not deserve to be loved. I think I'm a complete idiot. Um, you know, I'm so unworthy of that. Everything I've done is completely contrary to that uh, <laughs> in the way I've treated you, you know, and yet the person says, I love you. And then the other way that you can hear the words, I love you, is I love you too. And, um, and just gratitude and thanksgiving and um, celebrate the relationship. And so, I, I mean, I think law and gospel kind of works like that. Um, some people divide it a little bit more thoroughly to say these are the things that we're not supposed to do, and these are the this is kind of the way we are supposed to be. I think that works too. But for me, I think just thinking about the way you hear the words "I love you" and you can hear that in a variety of different ways, I think cuts to the chase on what we mean when we talk in those categories. Another way to express kind of how law and gospel works, you know, the law is kind of like it. It talks about it really kind of names the human condition. You know, this is kind of what the world is like. This is where we are. This is where we're stuck. And the gospel is where we're going, where God calls us to, shows us a different way. So you have kind of this death and resurrection theme um, and kind of where we try to live on our own and where God pulls us. So those are a couple of other thoughts on that. Yeah, and the law shows us where we fall short, you know, where, right. where, where we are not able to live up to the life that we want, that we think we need, or, or even the life that God thinks we deserve. So, and I am very conscious about that, and I, uh, you know, from what I hear from your preaching too, uh, most preachers, the, the law is, is important to lift up in our preaching. It's not all gospel, but it's not all law either. So we, we, we name the condition when, when we read the scripture, where we fall short, where we are not where we want to be, and then God's grace comes into that, and God's love and, and the gospel comes into that and says, well, yeah, you did screw up. Yeah, you, you're not doing what you need to be doing. Yeah, you acted out of fear instead of uh, trust, but that's okay because God still loves you, and tomorrow's another day. So it's it's something that that draws us back into relationship with with God and with each other, when so many times life gets in the way and gets in between our relationship with God and our relationship with the people around us. Yeah, and I think uh, the importance of the law is there, clearly, because there are certain things that need to be put to an end. Uh, and that's what—and God's Word does that, living and active, right? It puts to an end the piece that says, yeah, I can do whatever I want, or yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. As it calls us out and says, yeah, it does matter, and uh, it especially matters to God, and it especially matters to the way we've been treating others the wrong way. And uh, another way is to say, okay, that's what we've done, and then we talk about what God does, and that, um, you know, God forgives, God calls us into a new life, uh, and, and Jesus is that life. So anyway, this is a lot of setup just to say, I, I think this is where we come at when we start talking about Scripture, uh, at least from a a more Lutheran Christian perspective. But the, the whole category of the end times, the rapture, taking each line literally, it comes out of a totally different tradition. Some of the history of that, it, it, or people that talk about it say, well, this is just kind of the way the Bible should be read. It, it's actually kind of a newer way to read the Bible. People don't realize that. It's really born out of two people in particular, uh, John Nelson Darby 
and um, Cyrus Schofield, who both lived in the 19th century. They looked at the Bible and the world really as different um, times. So they, they broke the world down into seven categories of time. They called them dispensations. So the first one, if just and it all walks you through the Bible story. So the first time frame was before the flood, so creation to the flood. The second one was Noah and the new life that was possible there. The third one was with Abraham and the establishment of the covenant. The fourth one was the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, fifth was the extension to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, through Jesus. The sixth one is the time of the Spirit, uh, which they would say is the one we're in, the time of the church. And then the last one, the seventh time frame, is the millennium. So that's kind of like the the world yet to come, but, but we're still kind of not there yet. So when you see time and everything and Scripture working in a very linear pattern, and you're not quite on the timeline to the end yet, the question becomes, well, when does it end and how does it end? Which is a different perspective than when we say we want to start and end all things in Jesus, that Jesus is the center of time, center of the universe, center of our lives, existence, purpose, um, in whatever time we're in. They would say that you use Scripture in a particular way that one predicts the future and then realizes its fulfillment. So you're looking always for those clues as you read the Bible. And what Schofield did is he actually took the Bible apart and he put all kinds of references in the, oh, this verse relates to this verse and this verse relates to this verse, which again is not horrible, but when you think of the Bible as a collection of multiple documents across multiple centuries that in some ways have some common themes but aren't actually really related to each other, it gets a little problematic, uh, at least for me. So what they would do is they would kind of string a whole bunch of Bible verses together, from you know, some from Daniel, some from Revelation, some from maybe a gospel, some from some other Old Testament text, and say, oh, that must mean that when Jesus comes back to judge the world, this is what's going to happen. And there's going to be you know, a catastrophe, and everybody's going to disappear, and all that kind of stuff. So it's not that the things that they talk about are not in the Scriptures, but at least from my perspective, they're not what those documents are about necessarily. It's just kind of stringing together. Say you took a sentence out of Moby Dick and a sentence out of The Grapes of Wrath and a sentence out of <laughs> some other classic and put them together and say, ah, now I've discovered meaning. You know what I mean? It just seems it seems a little odd to me. It does seem a little odd, and it doesn't seem like it's something that really – we can we can totally put a lot of value in because it's picking verses out like you said picking verses out of here picking verses out of here and it's it's like we could pick you know we could we could pick four other verses and have it mean something totally different than that uh, there's really not too much evidence biblical evidence that says you know some of these theories that they they came up with are in fact what we need to be looking for or experiencing when we when we read the bible yeah, and I think there's, um, whether it's intentional or not, and I would like to err on the side of, of giving people some benefit of the doubt, but let's just say what happens is when you start to read Scripture this way is you become very narrow in the sense of you feel like, okay, we're the ones that figured it out, and everybody else didn't. So, you know, when it all comes together, thank goodness we're on the side of knowing it the right way. Right. 
and it, you know, it comes across as very judgmental to other people, or it, at least in that, I would say more evangelical tone of things. You use that as your pitch to try to convert the people that aren't part of it, right? You say, look, all this judgment is going to happen and the, the good people are going to be taken into heaven and, you know, by golly, don't you want to be a part of that versus either being left behind or sent to hell? Right. And people would try to use that to try to convince other people to join their movement. Where I would say, you know, we kind of start in a different place completely. You know, all people are sinful. All people are in need of redemption, including us in the church. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Even believers uh, are still just as much, uh, have just as much at stake here. Then you just, you start talking in a different way, you know? We say that, you know, Jesus is the, the forgiver of sin and is salvation, we would say that. But I would also say we're in constant need of it. It's not like we have it and you don't. Right. It's not like we're giving out little doses here and there. It's freely yeah. given. And then I, exactly. And then I would say, well, then why bother? I say, well, that that's that's why we come to church. That's why we're a part of a community. That's why we need things like the sacraments because they are God's way of reminding us that it's not just us and our long list of things that we've messed up. It's about what God does, and it's it's hearing that promise again that that Christ accomplishes everything for us. And so things like baptism are not just a, uh, okay, good, now you're on the right team, but it actually is God saying with some water to remind us it's a real thing, uh, that you're washed clean in my sight and, you know, you're mine forever, even when we don't believe that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, we come starving for for direction or meaning or forgiveness or, or truth or just to grasp onto some kind of something in our crazy lives to, to say, take and eat, you know, take and drink. Jesus is right here. I don't know. This is why I'm a Lutheran. I mean, I right, find that right. to be to be helpful, comforting, assuring, and to come at things that way rather than, okay, we need that th- the purpose of life from this other perspective is to escape this hellish world that we've created, and instead, uh, you know, if we just do the right things, believe the right things, string the right Bible verses together, when God finally rescues us out of this hellhole, we'll know that we're on the right side. Versus, I mean, I would say our perspective is more, it's very worldly. It's God born in the flesh, and for everything that that means. It's God dying in the flesh, and everything that means. It's God being raised from the dead in the flesh, whatever that means. And and that is with us in this same world. And so we are to live that way, you know, the, to be present with other people and to see God in the midst of our pain and suffering, not calling us to escape it, but to, to live through it, knowing there's another side of it um, too. So Right. And w- whenever I think about this idea of God's judgment or God's wrath or or the end times or anything like that versus my perspective. The vision that I have, and and go back to Peter walking on the water and seeing the storm come up around him and having that, that sense of doubt or that sense of being scared and started sinking. And when I live out my faith experiences, I have this confidence where I can go out and walk on the water, but then something happens in my life and I start to doubt or I start to fear or and I feel like I'm sinking. Instead of Jesus coming and saying, 
yes, you deserve because you have this doubt or, you know, you had this moment where, you know, you didn't know what the next step was or something happened in your faith and, and you deserve to, to sink and to drown. Instead, Jesus reaches down and lifts Peter out of the water and he rescues him. And I feel that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus comes to us. It's not a decision that we have to make. It's not something that we have to do to earn that love and that grace and that forgiveness from God. Instead, God, through Jesus, comes to us to pick us up out of the water and says, no, don't worry, I've got you. You know, I've got your back. I'm here for you, and and you don't have to worry anymore because there are going to be times when you're afraid. There's going to be times when you doubt. There's going to be times when you lose that sense of trust, but I'm here waiting for you. I'm here to be with you when, when you need me. And that's that's the kind of relationship that I want to have with God, that I am uh, thankful for those times that God is there. And then in, in because of that, I respond to acts of love and service to others as well. Yeah, and I think, just to piggyback on that story that you just told, where I feel where life is truly lived is right in that moment when you're sinking and you think you're going to drown and the hand of Jesus grabs you. Yeah. It's right. That's, that's where we live. It's that moment, which again is a completely different perspective than uh, I've got to get it all right. So I can be part of the group that gets to leave. Right. Right. Those are, Uh, that's a very different kind of mindset. Yeah. So then uh, just to bring it back around. So to think about Brian's book, it's a novel that is set where everybody in the story is operating out of that dispensational millennial rapture perspective. But the book is actually about the other one we've been talking about. Right, right. <laughs> so I can see, I, I mean, Brian and I have had a number of conversations. He's like, you know, the people that like it, like it, but the people that don't like it, man, they really just hate it. And I'm trying to put my finger on why. And I don't, I'm not claiming that I've actually put my finger on why, but I have a hunch. My hunch is when you're coming out of that perspective of, you know, every word of scripture is literal and that the point of scripture is to get you out so you can escape. And that the point of the church is to make sure that you're on the right side when the, when the escape time comes. When you're talking about living in your doubt and your fear, or to use the, the story you told, well, you're sinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then find God's grace in the midst of that. It kind of makes you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it's a different thing, right? I mean, we're talking about living in the real world, and um, God is not distant from us, but God is reaching down where we're drowning, that that's what life and faith is about, and that's where Scripture points, and that's what Jesus is about. And it's not about um, judging others or the good people get to go to heaven or the the dogs vanish. That's really part of the story in Brian's book, because we all know all dogs go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven, definitely. Yeah, but then you see, you know, tragic characters in the story, like, you know, the pastor whose life is a mess or, you know, these— this kid is trying to, who's been part of the church his whole life and has really some just deep questions. They're not unfaithful people. What they are are real people. Yeah. And they're drowning. And the message is God meets you there. So I think that's hard for some some people to hear. 
uh, because it's, it's one there, they haven't been exposed to that right. starting point before. Right. And I think the other problem with looking at it the way that we've been talking about is it doesn't answer every single question. You know, if you, if you look at it in the, in that linear sense, it is, it's, this is the right answer and this is the wrong answer. And Correct. it's black and white. And we live in a lot of gray as, as Lutherans. When we read scripture, there's some scripture that we continue to wrestle with over and over and over again. And we don't really know what the right answer is. We don't always know what the direction that we need to go in, in some ways that we look at some scripture. It confuses us. It, it, we struggle with it, but that's part of life. You know, there's, there are certain parts right. of life that we struggle with and we don't always have the right answer. And if we say we do, then we may be, you know, trying to convince ourselves that we do, or we may be lying or, or turning a blind eye or whatever. But there's so many things that we struggle with. And I think that's part of the reality as well. Yeah, I do too. I think ultimately, from my perspective, what good theology does or what what being faithful is, it doesn't give you answers. It helps you ask the right questions. Right, right. Uh, you know, it, it it puts you in a position to say, how am I being a neighbor to this person? Or how is God present in this situation? Especially when it looks like God is totally absent. Or particularly when it looks like that person is my enemy or an outsider or somebody that I shouldn't like. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. It's not that I know, okay, when this happens... Then I know I'm supposed to react this way, say this particular thing, and have this certain outcome. I would say no. I would say, you know, what, what Jesus brings to us, if we're, if we're to love God and love our neighbor, we find ourselves in complex situations all the time. And to say, okay, I just got to keep asking this person I'm talking with, you know, while I'm having that conversation, how am I present Where's God in the midst of, of what we're working on? How is it helpful to others? Is, if this is confrontational, how do I love my enemy? If it's collaborative, you know, how are we working together for the betterment of others? You know, it's just, those are the things you start asking yourself, not just, oh, do I have the right answer or can I pull the right verse out of my hat and make sure I quote it enough so people know I've read my Bible enough. Right. Now, having said all that, I mean, to me, this is what the Bible's about. I mean, if you read through the Scriptures and read them as stories about real people, they are asking themselves these questions all the time. Uh, you know, how, where's God in the midst of this, and how am I supposed to live as a result? A it, lot of people don't get it right. I mean, they do. They screw up often. Right. Or they do some horrible things, and you, you read through, especially when you start reading some of those Old Testament stories, you're like, man, these people are awful people. The other side of it, too, is once they, once they come encounter Jesus— or once they encounter God in some way, it makes a significant difference in their life. It absolutely does. Right. You know, and I think going back to the, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well that Jesus meets, and, you know, once, once she sees him and once she hears his story, I mean, her life drastically changes because of that, and she goes off and tells everyone about it. And, and I think that, that impact, that powerful impact, happens in our lives as well. When we encounter Scripture, when we read the Bible, and we see it, it's not a book about judgment, it's not a book about law, even though there's law in it, but there's also gospel in it, and the gospel is, is the thing that frees us, 
that leads us to go and tell the world, hey, you know what? I know that there is this person that, that came to the world to save me, to be with me, and to promise me eternal life. And there's nothing that I have to do to earn that. That's, a, that's an amazing thing, and that's a powerful thing. That, it's a life-changing thing, and that, that life-changing thing happens to us all the time. But it comes when we sit down and, and we you know, interact with God, interact with each other through Scripture. Because we don't know about it any other way than than um, until we start to engage in that way. Yeah, I think a good clue is when you read through, especially the Gospels, um, and you start to ask some questions about what's going on and what is Jesus doing. You start to take notice. It's it's the religious people that have the problem with Jesus. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's the people that are the most unlikely and undeserving that respond the best to him. And I think that should give us a clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So I it's agree. not about uh, it's not about having all the right answers. It's not about doing it right. I mean, that's what Jesus had the, the all these confrontations about with people is, you know, they say, well, the Bible says this. Well, it does, but you know, look, this poor woman here needs your help. Right. It's about doing the unexpected. It's about seeing Jesus in 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 our everyday life, seeing God in our everyday life. And that can be hard when we're running around from one activity to another and not taking the time to live, I don't want to say stop and smell the roses, but to really stop and smell the roses or or taking the Sabbath time that God directs for every single one of us. That's not a, a requirement or a commandment to, to hinder us, but it's to help us see the world to spend time with the people that we love, and to be able to uh, have that intentional time, whether it's every day, once a week, or or multiple times a week, or whatever y- you feel called to, but to spend time in God's Word, and to read the Bible, and to say, what impact does this have on me today? How, how, how can I see the Scripture for something that is helpful in my life? Right, and I think um, just to to go back on um, some other things we've said is, you know, there are, to be fair, a lot of commandments in the Bible. But when you see that they're given to you not as a righteousness test, but they're there to help you. Right. If our lives are about loving God and loving our neighbors, we need a lot of help to do that. Yep. Or, or to see the world in those terms, and we we don't get it right a lot. So why are they in there? For that reason. They're there to guide us, I and mean, especially Sabbath. We have such a hard time keeping the Sabbath, but you see why we need it, or, or why do we keep God first in our lives? Well, because most of the time we don't, <laughs> and so we need, to, we need to say that God actually intends us to put, that our lives are centered on God before ourselves. Or, or why does it matter what language we use? Well, it does matter because it impacts the way that we interact with other people and how we're talking about God uh, and any of the other things, too. I mean, when you talk about uh, life or, or family or uh, the things we have or the way we speak about each other or our, our desires, when you start to boil all those things down to what are they, why does God give us commandments is for our benefit, but we don't always use them to our benefit, and so we are reminded that we don't. I mean, that's that's 
ways the law comes to us. And then, um, again, the good news is it's not about our actions ultimately, it's about God's actions and to a new life that we're promised, even in the midst of everything else that's going on. I liked how you said it, it is, the commandments are, are what gives us life. It helps us know what to do. It helps create community, it helps create relationship, and and it's not something, it's not a rule book for us to follow, but a life-giving, life-giving thing. So if someone was to start reading the Bible, maybe for the first time, and we talked about maybe starting with the stories of Jesus, the, the Gospels, what helpful tools can we give our podcast listeners in reading the Scripture? Jeff, what are some of the ways that, that you have read Scripture or that has helped you engage with Scripture in the past? Well, I don't know if I would say this to be a tool, but I would say this is what I actually do. So especially when I'm reading the Gospels or the stories, maybe not so much uh, the poetry or the letters or things like that, but the the Gospels in particular, but also the Bible stories. The first thing I just ask are, who is involved? Right. So if, if it's a story about Jesus going to a particular place and he does certain things, I just try to outline that first. You know, who who is Jesus talking to? You know what I mean? I want to know yep. something about this person. Or where are they? Does it matter that this person's in Samaria? Well, actually, it does. It matters quite a bit because they were not considered part of the in-group. So even just doing going there is significant in its own way. I look at the conversation, you know, how it goes, you know. But, but really... What I do is I, I think of my initial reactions. Where are the parts that are, are rubbing me, right? Like this really grates on me or, oh my gosh, that's calling me out on something. I mean, again, that's that law piece that's we're supposed to live a certain way, but we don't always live up to it. And a lot of times, most of the time don't. Uh, okay, where is that point of grating against me or rubbing against me? Because I feel like that's the entry point. That feels like real life to me. Yeah, you know that's you know, so that's kind of where I would enter into a story, and then I kind of see does it resolve? Does it not resolve? Uh, where does it go? How does it fit into maybe a bigger story? Especially with Jesus, I think the thing you can always ask yourself is how does this relate later? It, you know, maybe it's a story or maybe it's a teaching, and you kind of say, okay, I want to get to the the nitty gritty what this is about. But I think with Jesus in particular and the Bible as a whole, you want to come back to, well, how does this relate to the cross and to Easter? That helps. It helps just frame it. You know, what, where's what's something that needs to be put to an end in death, and what is something that is being called to into new life? Right. Whether it's actually evident in the story or not, I think that's, that's worth asking. Um, so where does it grade against you? Where's the death and resurrection piece? Uh, and then what's just instructive? Is there something helpful in here? What's the point that I missed because, um, you know, I've been too self-concerned or not aware of what my neighbor or, or God's presence in the midst of that. Where's God present in the midst of suffering? Those kinds of things I, I usually ask when I'm entering a story. Um, some of the poetry I, or the Psalms or uh, maybe Paul's letters, I try to maybe sketch out a little bit more and just kind of look more at the language of it or the sentences, because how that's being put together usually is, is pretty intentional. Um, and, and you have to realize it is translated. So you need to kind of think about that a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you do? One of the practices that I've uh, picked up on a few years ago that I really enjoy, especially in my devotional time is Lectio Divina. 
uh-huh. what that is um, is taking scripture and reading it, meditating on it, praying over it, and then contemplating. And that contemplation may last throughout the day or sometimes even even the whole entire week when, when I'm reading scripture. So I, I read it, I, I take a piece of scripture, whatever that is, and I, I read it through a couple different times. Um, and if there is a, a connection that I have with a piece of scripture to either a song or a poem or anything else, and I may utilize that, but that's not a necessary thing to do. And after I read it a couple of times, I, I just think about what does this mean? Is there a connection in my life? And, and part of that process for me in that meditation is also journaling. And uh, mm-hmm. to really, what's helpful for me, I'm a really external thinker. If I can't talk about it, then I'll, I'll write it down or journal it. So I have a journal that I keep daily, and I meditate on the scripture and think, you know, and these ideas come up, things that I wouldn't even uh, imagine thinking about, but I think it's through that, that intentional reading and, and intentional meditation and, and then prayer, uh, having that prayer aspect where I pray over the scripture and say, you know, what has come up in my meditation that really strikes me? Uh, what are some of the feelings that, that came up when, when reading that scripture and meditating that I just need to really turn over to God, whether it's a exciting, happy thing, or a frustrating, angry, or a sad thing. Whatever that is, I, I turn that over to God and put in place into God's hands, and then I just continue to think about what impact does this scripture have on me, like I said, the rest of the day or the rest of the week, whatever, whatever that is. Uh, may be for me after reading that piece of scripture. It's not necessarily a deep theological type thing, but it is, I think, for me, an impactful thing on my on my daily life. And there is a resource that, I, that we'll have in our in our show notes. There is a, a guide to daily scripture reading, and there's many different kinds of guides out there. But the ELCA has put out a a daily. Uh, lectionary guide that that helps connect scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we'll have a link on that on the show notes to help you. Because, I mean, that's another question: what, how do we know what to read when? We we start with the Gospels, but there are also other reading plans that that kind of expose you to different aspects of the Bible, and so you're not reading the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, sometimes what I like to do, I don't journal, but I doodle. Oh, yes, yeah. I especially like to do that when I'm teaching, is uh, and especially with kids, is can we draw this story out and kind of map it in a, a visual way so you can kind of see the things that are happening or what's going on. I do that for myself personally, too, and I, I, I find that to be kind of helpful. You can also get um, commentaries or people that have studied it more intently than either of us um, to get more background or more um, insight behind the words, that those are helpful sometimes. Yes. Um, I know when I was younger, I used to think more creatively, where I would say, okay, what's a, what's a new, fresh way to engage this? I've kind of stopped doing that, not, not for lack of creativity, but so I said, well, what's, what's the point, actually? You know, <laughs> rather than trying to be so creative about it, what's, what, if you could just boil it down in plain language, what, what's going on here? And then... Engage, engage it from there. That that helps. I that, I feel like I've gotten a lot clearer in my own um, understanding and teaching 
and preaching even by, by asking that. All right, if I was just going to explain this to somebody who's never heard of it before, what would I say? Maybe yep. would, I wouldn't start in left field, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is what I was doing for a while because I thought, oh, all this stuff is familiar, people know it. Well, actually, a lot of people don't know it. So we, should, we shouldn't assume that people know the stories. We should assume they may have heard it once or if at all. So how can you explain it in plain language? Last night when I was teaching confirmation, first we talked about the prophets in the Old Testament, and then we were talking about the Psalms. And I kind of made the assumption, but I, I questioned, I said, yeah, we have really famous Psalms that, that many people know. Psalm 23, for example. Right. And all I got back were blank stares. <laughs> mm. Oh, is what is that? And what is that? And then so we did this game, uh, not not really a game, but I said, okay, I'm going to start, and we'll see who can go the longest as far as repeating Psalm 23. Because even if you don't know, when you when you start hearing the words, you, you'll start to to understand it maybe a little bit or know. Oh yeah, I do know that psalm. So I started, the Lord is my shepherd, and a couple of them said, you know, continued, I shall not be in want or you know, and but they didn't get too far. So we we read the psalm together. I read a couple other uh, psalms and explained the purpose of them. We talked about the different kinds of psalms and that sort of thing, which was really kind of neat. But but yeah, we have these familiar passages that we think might be familiar to everyone, but might not be either. Yeah, I had an experience a couple of years ago where I was teaching the confirmation kids the parable of the Good Samaritan, and none of them felt like they knew the story at all. And I'm like, you guys have been coming to church your whole lives. But anyway, they, <laughs> right, right. it was new to them. And so when I was doing it, I said, well, instead of calling him the Samaritan, I said, well, you know, when it got to, you know, first there was the religious guy and he was too busy. And then there was the, the lawyer, he was too busy. And then instead of Samaritan, I said, then there was the scum sucking loser. And they loved that. They thought this was great. But then I'm like, you know, which one's the neighbor? And I said it was the scum-sucking loser. And they were like, what? You know, they were like, <laughs> get out of town. The whole surprise of the story that so often we just don't think about because it's something, you say something like the Good Samaritan, you assume culturally people know what that means, right? You're, right. That means you're a helpful person. But um at least with the way we use it in our just everyday vernacular, but to have no context around that story at all and then hear it for the first time that it's the outsider, the one you wouldn't expect, that that is the one who cared for the, the person in distress. It is kind of surprising. It is very and surprising. I, I, sometimes we lose that edge, some of our explanation or teaching or engagement with the Scripture because we assume familiarity or, or we have familiarity and we kind of, we just... You know what I mean? We've just kind of missed out on the the abrasiveness of how some of these things come across or would have when they were told for the first right. time. Right. And that was that was Jesus's point is to have that the edge or that surprise and right. yeah, we we, we were right, we've lost that. We definitely lost that. So do you have a a favorite Bible passage? I have a lot of favorites. Off the top of my head though, I would say First Peter 4.10, I really like, which is like good stewards of the grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift you've been given. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I think it, it's helpful. How about you? My favorite, and I have many like you, but uh, the top of the list for me is Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, 
Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I uh, done a lot of work on on trying to figure out, you know, what are the essential parts uh, that God calls me to in this life, and and partly because of this verse, and partly because of I think the makeup of who I am, that the idea of naming or being named is very important. So that that part, that line, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and to know that God knows our very name is is really just an impactful thing for me. In, in, in my relationship with God. so Excellent. Yeah. So thank you, Jeff, for this conversation about Scripture, how we read Scripture, how we view Scripture, favor of Bible verses. You know, it's been very helpful for me to think about how I view Scripture and how that might not be how other people view Scripture. And you know what? That's, that's okay. But it's important for me to, to know that when I read the Bible, when I read uh, particular parts of the Bible that that I have this sense that, as Martin Luther said, the Bible is the cradle in which carries Jesus. I really love that quote, and it's it's an important part of how I view Scripture, and I think it's it's critical in how we interact with one another in in conversations about Scripture. And so, thank you for for this conversation. Yeah, thank you too. I also. Uh... Lift, lift up that uh, Jesus at the centerpiece. And uh, I also have two other things just to leave with that I remember I said during the announcements a number of weeks back um, when we had, I knew one of the readings was going to be very hard to hear. And uh, so I set it up ahead of time and I said, three things you need to know. One is Christ is at the center, that whole piece that we just talked about. Two, uh, scripture interprets scripture, so we can lift that up too. That yep. it's, um, you got to look at the whole, or at least within the same book you're reading, what's the, what's the general theme there? But the last thing I said is a quote from Mark Twain, which I, I also have found helpful. And he said, it's not the parts of scripture I don't understand that scare me, it's the parts I do. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> So there's some element to that, too, because, I mean, it is, we would say the Word is living, that it does something to us, that it does come in law and gospel, and we should we should respond accordingly. I mean, we, we need to know that sometimes when we hear the Word of God, it does it does kill us in a, in a real way, um, but that's not where we're ever left, and that's also the, the whole point, is God meets us. And uh, God meets us in Christ. God meets us in our despair, our anxiety, our questions. I mean, that's what the cross is all about, is, is God being there, right there with us. And uh, it always ends in new life. So uh, this has been great. It's kind of fun to talk about this kind of stuff. And uh, I think, too, just to go back to, to Brian's book, just to close, is that's where he ends, it, too, is that there is hope. And... Um, in the midst of a world that feels like it's crashing in all around us or getting worse or, or, or whatever, the way we feel, you kind of see where some of this theology comes from. Uh, we also have this great uh, quote that I don't really know if it's something Martin Luther said, but it's, it sounds like something he would say is, uh, if I knew the world was going to end tomorrow, I'd plant an apple tree. 
and right. That's what it's all about. It's about looking for new life, even in the midst of a world that's crashing in around you. And that's where God is. I, I love that quote as well. And I think it's so true that whatever our view may be, you know, to worry about when things are going to end or, or whatever, it's, it's, it, it's really to live in the present, to re- live in now, to invest in our relationships now. And our, those are the things that are, are important in our lives. So thank you for listening to another episode of Two Bald Pastors, where we connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinibaldo. If you want to learn a little bit more about some of the things that we have talked about today, check out our show notes uh, at twobaldpastors.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook as well. So until next time, we hope you have a blessed day. Bye. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. So yeah, that's all we got. (laughs) We hope that was helpful. Get out of town!